1 Corinthians 13, our final message on the nature of love, we consider the inexhaustibility and the endurance of love. So we look to the reading of God's word, if you please join me in prayer. Oh Lord, we ask that you would shed your light upon us, that being rid of the darkness of our hearts, that we may come into the true light, which is Christ, the light of the world, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The word of the Lord. When asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus said there were two which were interwoven, love God and love neighbor. In Luke's gospel, right after he says this, he gives the story of the Good Samaritan to show what love is supposed to look like. And it was a hard word because Samaritans were religious and political enemies to the Jews. Paul continues this hard word on love in 1 Corinthians 13. It's amazing and wonderful to hear, of course, until we consider what it looks like lived out. Love gets poured out for the advantage of others. That's the nature of it. It gets poured out for the advantage of those we may not like or for those who may have hurt us. Biblical love is not self-seeking, just like biblical gifts. We do not use them for ourselves but for the good of others. And if I am only looking out for my own benefit, my own advantage, then I am not loving as God has called me to. And the bar is set ridiculously high by Jesus himself. Jesus calls us to go where we cannot go on our own. We must continue to draw into him to be led and transformed by his spirit within us. In verse 7, the Apostle Paul describes the very positive kinds of behavior that the Corinthians are not doing in their church. And that probably would be a shock to some of this group because they were very gifted and very talented. But you'll recall from D.A. Carson, he reminds us, he says, By themselves, your spiritual gift attests nothing spiritual about you. Because by themselves, spiritual gifts say nothing positive about our own spiritual condition unless love is present. We are all too familiar with the world of professional sports that's clearly taught us that if you are an exceptional athlete, we will tolerate almost any kind of bad behavior from you. And sadly, this is often the case in the church as well. And Paul is telling us what exceptional love and behavior are to look like. It can often seem out of our reach, though. 
Because we're easily exhausted, we're overextended in our efforts. Who doesn't at times feel exhausted by dealing with hard people or hard circumstances? Our hope can feel exhausted along with a depleted desire just to do good. And here Paul comes in, he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. And that word belief here is a verb, which in verse 13 is the noun of faith. So faith, hope, and love are on display here and interwoven. Why? Because love fills hope and faith. Without love, they're empty. Pastor John looked last week at the first of these two, love bears all things, believes all things. And this morning, we're looking at love hopes all things, endures all things. What does it mean to hope all things? Paul is not saying that love should be gullible or naive. It means you can give the benefit of the doubt. You can think well of someone. Yes, people fail. We know that. But failure is not the last word. Love looks ahead to a better horizon that is yet to come. And Paul goes on. He says, beyond that, we also say love endures all things. It doesn't easily give up. It doesn't tap out. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee passed away last month. He said, love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future. Tenacity in the present, lifted up, by absolute confidence in the future that enables us to live in every kind of circumstance and continually to pour itself out on behalf of others. How much easier it is to endure something that's really difficult when the future is so good. The agony of labor gives way to the birth of a child. Future hope in Christ gives us the tenacity for our current pain. When we're exhausted and do not think we have much reserves from which to love, our tank is empty, we consider not only what Christ has done, but what yet is to come. The Lord is not only working all things for the good of those who love Him, Romans 8, He's also providing the sustaining strength to endure. Isaiah 40, For they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. 1 Peter 4, serve by the strength God supplies. Paul in 1 Timothy 1, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus the Lord. And we need his strength if we're to love like him. It's got to come from outside of us. Calvin again, he reminds us that a Christian will consider it better to be imposed upon by his own kindness and his easy temper than to wrong his brother or sister by unfriendly suspicion. Think about that. I am going to be imposed upon in my kindness so as not to extend to you unfriendly suspicion. You don't do this on your own power. Another translation of chapter or verse 7, it's in your bulletin as well. Another way of saying this, love never tires of support, never loses faith, never exhausts hope, never gives up. 
And in some, when they hear verse 7 in Paul, they say, well, Paul's just encouraging passivity. Try it. Try to love like this and see if it's passive. There's nothing passive about it. When you and I love in this way, we can't help but throw ourselves back on Jesus. From Leon Morris, love does more than put up with life's hardships. That's passive. If that's all you're doing, that's passive. Love does more than put up with life's hardships. It grows and develops as it struggles against death. That's the action. Love never exhausts hope. It never gives up. We, we hear the refrain from the Song of Songs, many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. So not only does love not exhaust our hope, love also extends further than we think possible. Paul ends this section in verse 8, love never ends. Word for word, he says, love never falls down. The idea is love does not fail. The love Paul speaks of ultimately is never defeated. It continues to grow. It extends beyond its borders. Why? Because God is love. Therefore, his love is boundless and free. There's no limit. There's no end to it. That should thrill us and frighten us at the same time. Jesus is better than all of us. We are incapable of doing what he has done. And we love him for calling us to do that which we cannot do in our own strength. In your bulletin as well, like Christ on the cross, love endures scorn, failure, ingratitude. At the end, shines out the light of Easter for love never ends. Scorn, Failure in gratitude. How do you endure that? That's really hard to endure from other people. But love overcomes the evil we find in others as well as in ourselves. We recognize that the evil that we so condemn in one another is so very present in our own heart. I was telling a man not too long ago, we were given this simple gospel presentation that we are to forgive those who hurt us. And almost immediately his reply was, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. Yeah, sure, Jesus can, but we can't. It's impossible. Maybe in heaven or something, but nobody can do that. Wow. He recognized immediately his own heart. And yet we hear Scripture give us a very clear command to do that. 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Then he says, and he has given us his command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. How do we do this? The Holy Spirit working in our souls. From Jonathan Edwards, reminds us that what God has planted in the heart, his grace that he's planted, it will up, he will uphold it against all opposition. He will never let it be overthrown by any force that could be brought against it. 
Why? Because it's from God. If God gives you the grace, it's not going to be overcome. 1 Peter 1, by the power of God through faith. Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Who does that? It's God. God is the one at work. That's the good news. He is the one accomplishing his purpose in you that will not ultimately overcome it. Love does more than just put up with life's hardships. It grows and develops as it struggles against them. How? Through the Holy Spirit in us. That's how we can have a love that does not exhaust hope. That's how we can have a love that never expires or is overextended. So let's consider some actions of love in our current community. Just think about this. Always these things are, know thyself. Consider your online posts, forwards, retweets, likes, forwarded links. If you're like, hooray for me, I'm not online at all. Consider your conversations. How are they promoting love in your community? It's a valid question. Do they make you move towards others or do they help you keep up walls against them? No, I'm not trying to stifle free speech, shut down the vital flow of information. Just think, the last five years, five years, have you posted several hundred things about whatever controversial topic is out there? Guns, school policies, politics, COVID, CRT, feminism, sexual exit, anything for, against, pulp-free orange juice, whatever. Now, do any of your friends or family have any doubt about where you stand on said issues? If I were to poll them, say, what does he think about orange juice? Let me tell you. If that is the case, what will post 165 do? Retreat 410. Seriously, you are far better off just posting links to cats scared of cucumbers. Because at least that's funny. Somebody can laugh at that. But just sending one more thing that's hundreds deep. What good does it do your heart when it comes to loving? Is it helping? And, and we're entering to the holidays. What will be the topic of conversation when you're gathered together? Are there already family members who are sighing in resignation, grateful that this only happens once a year because they know they're about to jump on a merry-go-round of Four conversations, two conversations. What might silence for you do for your heart, for theirs? Your home, and by extension, the church, should be havens of respite 
and relief from what's out there. A place of healing and joy. And yes, you can do that without burying your head in the sand. Yes, we do care deeply about things happening in our country and in the world. We are concerned when evil flourishes. But what is very clear that as Christians, we do not fight fire with fire, rhetoric with rhetoric, yelling with louder yelling. That's the question that comes back to us. How do you deal with the agitation of concern, which can be legitimate, with the call to love? What is going to move your heart? And it had, if someone have had someone say this, like, we only argue when we drink. Okay, maybe stop drinking. I only get agitated and upset when I watch the news. Maybe stop watching the news. Do what is necessary that we would be able to promote the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. And it's hard. As we're saying, it's supernatural for the Holy Spirit to work that in us. In John 16, we hear Jesus say, in the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then in 1 John 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We have already overcome in Christ. We know the end of the story. That's the good news. We get to live the good news out with one another and with the world around us. We've overcome through Christ. Several weeks ago, I gave you a quote from New Testament scholar David Garland speaking about love and kindness. He said, kindness recognizes that everyone carries a heavy load. Kindness recognizes that everyone carries a heavy load. We are to be kind to others because we know our own burdens. And we know we're not the only ones who carry burdens. The love of Christ calls us to seek to ease the burden of others. To be kind, to be gentle. Because Jesus has eased our burdens. He has been kind and gentle to us. We have heard his tender words of grace spoken to our souls. Trying to do this immediately you know that is not passive. It's not sappy. It's not sentimental. Think about this. Jesus called Matthew the tax collector and also Simon the Zealot to be his disciples. The Zealots were a revolutionary group that said any political submission to Rome was a denial of God's lordship. And they took action to get rid of the Romans. Tax collectors were on the very other end of the spectrum, seen as collaborating with Rome, sympathizers hated. Jesus put them on the same team Wonder what those discussions are like at dinner time. Because Jesus had a greater purpose than petty politics in Palestine. By the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that 
someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, I am that friend. I'm doing this very thing. I'm laying down my life for you. And Matthew and Simon, surely by this time, were fast friends. And the disciples are going to go into the world with this very idea of laying their lives down so that other people can hear the good news of Jesus. That's what was motivating them. And while Jesus may have become physically exhausted, his love never did. His love grew and expanded and extended far beyond the horizon of Palestine. I said this before, that all spiritual gifts have a limit and an expiration date. Love does not. That's the milk carton that did, no, you don't have to read it. It is a forever date. It doesn't expire. And you may never stand before thousands of people. You may never write a best-selling book about the great things of the Lord. You may never have amazing insights and special knowledge that everybody wants to hear. But the sky is the limit on how you can love people. There's no cap. It doesn't end. You can go, you know, I'm not the sharpest knife in a drawer, but I can love better than anyone. Because of Christ in me, there's no limit to my love. You can have greater love than Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. It's not about your gifts, your power, your abilities. Takes us right back to God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus, the most gifted man to ever walk the earth, was forsaken in order that we would be accepted. Love is who Jesus is. The more you see the radiance of Christ's love for you, for others, the more you let that love transform you. Your gifts, your abilities, they become a conduit for that very love. And in those times, which are often, when we're just tapped out, we run out, we're exhausted, we're overextended, like I can't do anymore. We have one then who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't think any of us have loved so much and so hard that at the end of the day, we're hitting the bed exhausted from our efforts to love. And if that is the case, Jesus says, I will fill you up. Come and receive my rest. This is the kind of love that the world so desperately longs for. That we have the privilege to demonstrate. Where people go, oh my goodness, that's, even, that's something that could even happen? That's, that's what Jesus has put before us. They will know You are my disciples because of your superior reasoning ability to argue against everything they've ever said. No. They will know you are my disciples by your love, by your love for one another.
Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. God's bringing them, bringing them to us. Bring them to your homes. You're going into their homes. What life-giving freshness do you have for people who are weary and burdened that you can come and, and be a means of easing that burden for them? That when they go away, they're like, not only was not even way better than I expected, that, that was something I've never seen before. Tell me more. Tell me more about this Jesus. Pray with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we don't love like this. And we ask that you would forgive us. Father, we repent of, of love that is exhausted, that has limits, that runs out. And Lord, we ask that you would not only forgive us, but Father, that you would give to us an increasing and ever-expanding amount of your love, particularly to those who are hard and difficult in our lives. And we pray, Lord God, that you would be pleased to use us as extensions of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, And Lord, we pray and ask that you would bless those who come in contact with us, that they would know the sweet aroma of Christ through our words, through our actions, so that that Jesus, the King of glory, would receive the reward of his suffering. And this we pray and ask in his mighty name. Amen. Will you please stand together and continue in the